You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. So I guess we could start today's show almost the same as I did yesterday. Should have had uh, Cam or Taylor just grab the clip of me talking about four goal performances just to lose. Uh, that's right. Leon Dreisaitl this time. <laughs> Four goal game for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, he scores goal number eight, number nine, number 10, and number 11 of the playoffs, but it's not enough. The Oilers dropped game one against the Vegas Golden Knights, six to four. Uh, and it's interesting. You know, it's kind of what we talked about on the show yesterday when we were teeing up that matchup. Yes, Edmonton has Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid, two of the best players in the world right now. But the Vegas Golden Knights have Mark Stone. Uh, They have Ivan Barbashev, who scored twice. Chandler Stevenson, he scored last night. Jack Eichel, who stripped the puck off McDavid with the Edmonton net empty to put the game away 6-4, among many others who didn't get on the board but still played meaningful roles last night. On Leon Dreisaitl, though, he has 52 points in his last 25 playoff games, and he is now two goals away from tying the leading goal scorer from last year's playoffs, only seven games in to the postseason. He's one game in to round two, and obviously the Oilers won in six. Nathan McKinnon had 13 last year en route to a Stanley Cup. Yeah, Dreisaitl, he's got 11 right now. So uh, he is playing out of his mind, a completely different level for the Edmonton Oilers, but they've got a tough task against a really deep Vegas Golden Knights team who are up one nothing early in this series. The other game from last night, Carolina Hurricanes, they keep on winning despite all this talk that we in the media continue to have about the injuries. And I'm talking about myself too. I can say that because I'm the one that keeps talking about the injuries at their top of the lineup. Uh, yes, they don't have Svechnikov or Teravainen, uh, or Max Pacioretty, but they, they keep winning. They beat the Devils last night 5-1 to one in game number one. Five different goal scorers get on the board, including two defenders. They had one of the most active blue lines in the league during the regular season, uh, which was a bit quiet in round one, but off to a good start already against the New Jersey Devils. Uh, we can't write New Jersey off yet. It's very early in the series, and we know that the Devils – uh, went down early in the series against the New York Rangers, came back and won in seven. So this could be a long one. But I also think we need to maybe stop underestimating this Carolina Hurricanes team. Um, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if we're taking them a bit lightly because of all that's been talked about with the injuries. And I think it's important. Yes, Andrei Svechnikov was a big loss for the Carolina Hurricanes, but Tavo Teravainen was just okay this season, I mean, he was good. Um, and Max Pacioretty only played three games, so it's not like he was a massive subtraction from what Carolina was able to accomplish in the regular season. So at points during the season, I was saying, like, this is a year for the Canes. Obviously, the Bruins kind of overtook that with their record-setting regular season. They're gone now. It's not going to get any easier for Carolina, but maybe this still could be the year. They take a one nothing series lead. Last night, uh, tonight's games on tap Toronto versus Florida game two, Seattle versus Dallas game two. We're going to do something a bit different today though. So instead of just teeing up those matchups, cause we have talked about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Florida Panthers and Matthew Kuchuk a lot. We've dug into the Kraken and the Dallas stars. 
So today we're going to look outside of the playoff picture. We're going to zoom in. We're going to zoom out a little bit, I should say. There are teams for sale. There are teams trying to figure out what went wrong and what comes next. So uh, later in the show, we're going to talk to Ty Anderson from 98.5 uh, Sports Radio Station in Boston about the Bruins. And right now, we're going to bring in Ian Mendez from The Athletic. He covers the Ottawa Senators. Uh, he's also... You know, the only person on this radio station right now that has spoken to Snoop Dogg, uh, he joins us now on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. That's Ian Mendez, not not Snoop Dogg. Although, Ian, uh, we did we did start the show with with a little bit of uh, Snoop Dogg playing. So we got a little bit of both today. What's up? Oh, what do you say? I, 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 just listening to you say that and bring me on, it's still, it seems so ridiculous, doesn't it? Like, go back a week ago, two weeks ago. And uh, think about the sentence you just uttered. It's yeah. wild, wild turn of events in in, uh, in Ottawa. So Sean Gentilly had uh, when they brought the gin and juice jerseys back. Our, our colleague at the yes. Athletic, my podcast co-host, he uh, he had something with Snoop Dogg, but I think it was just via email. So you got to level up on on SG. You you spoke to him. What do you? I always have this. I always find this interesting with celebrities. You know, when you talk to Lady Gaga, do you call her Gaga? Do you call her Lady Gaga? Do you call Snoop Dogg Snoop Dogg? Is it just Snoop? Is it Mr. Dog? How did you handle this? Uh, See, I knew when I came on with you that you'd be asking the important, (laughs) uh, relevant questions. And I thought about it, too, because I'm like, well, what do I call him, right? Uh, Right. Or do I call him the dog father? Like, what do I do? So I just went, (laughs) I'm like, no, not that one. Uh, but But then I was also wondering... Like, okay, then when I write the article, like, what's the, uh, you know, what's the style guide say for when I quote him? Do I say, uh, says dog, says Snoop Dogg, says Snoop, says whatever. So I just went with says Snoop and then figured out, like, somebody would correct me on the editorial desk. Uh, but that's, I guess, the way it, uh, that's the way it went. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was truly surreal because, um uh, you know, you, I got told, Hey, listen, at some point in the next 24 hours, they're like, he, they'll get in touch with you. It looks like this is a go. And I thought, Oh my gosh, now you gotta have your phone with you. Right. Like at all times you can't be, you know, leaving your phone somewhere and, and missing, right. you know, see three missed calls from S dog on your, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> on your, on your, on your uh, call display. Uh, but no, like, so, you know, just to peel back the curtain a bit, like his manager uh, basically phoned me and said, uh, okay, uh, I got Snoop for you. Go ahead. Like, that's literally how it started. And it was just, you know. I hope uh, you were ready. Just have your questions uh, in your pocket just in case. <laughs> yeah, you hear me like I stumbling. Can, can you call oh. back in five minutes, please, uh, Snoop Dogg? I'm not ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I can only imagine what this guy's schedule is like. So, listen, he was really, um, really passionate, really engaged. And, and I, I think you agreed with me on this. Like, I know you tweeted about this. and I think you and I have the same thought on this. Like he gets it when it comes to the marketing of stars. Like, like mm-hmm. that's what we think of the game right now. And we think of Matthew Kachuk and Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and Nate McKinnon and Gail McCarr. And like, you know, p- pick whoever you think is the best seven or eight players in the game right now. Like, what do we want to see? We want to see them like blown up and we want to see them like kind of larger than life. And, and it feels like because of the backdrop of the sport that they play and that we've always been told that like it's team first and, you know, 18 skaters and, and a goalie and that's what matters. And like, ah, I loved hearing him be so passionate about 
we need to market our stars. And I mm-hmm. loved it. I loved it. It was, a, it was a great conversation with them. Yeah, that was definitely one of the big takeaways from that article that you had with Snoop Dogg at The Athletic, if anybody wants to read it. Um, and it's, it becomes an interesting conversation, too, though, because obviously I tweeted the quote. And then you've got all the people who are like, yeah, absolutely, I agree. And then you have a segment of people... I mean, it's very funny, like, you know, with respect to Connor McDavid, people being like, well, Connor McDavid is the personality of a cabbage Uh, (laughs) or, uh, you know, he's a robot engineer to just be good at hockey. I like regardless of what you think of McDavid's personality and media interviews, like there is a way to market these people. Not every supremely famous guy from the NBA or the NFL is a dynamic personality. So. Uh, I mean, well, with the Kawhi Sens Leonard and with Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. That was the one I was thinking of. Is like you could yeah. take how strange and robotic this this man is, who was you know engineered in a lab to be incredible at basketball and, and market it and, and make it funny. So uh, there's definitely room to grow, and it's and it's cool to see um, you know people from the outside kind of understanding that, and and somebody with the kind of platform. Uh, that Snoop Dogg or Ryan Reynolds or whoever it may be that ends up owning this team, like understanding that they have an opportunity to do something different. And I'm sure it's a very exciting time in Ottawa to know that that they are the ones that that could be, you know, changing things a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, Haley, and you, listen, you were in this market for a period of time. I think you have better than most an understanding of the kind of complexities of this marketplace uh, vis-a-vis the previous ownership group and the regime. And like, I can't tell you the whiplash that I have right now that I think that collectively we're experiencing this market going from the previous regime, which was very close minded, uh, very, uh, you know, authoritarian and very, uh, very harsh and cruel to the 180 degree, like I said, you know, whiplash, head turn, whatever, to potentially a uh, Ryan Reynolds or a Snoop Dogg, uh, yeah. I don't think if you went back to uh, at any point during the previous owner, during Eugene Melnick's you know, reign, if you would have said, you know, pick the polar opposite of, of this, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know that we would have la- even landed here. We would have thought that this is the most ridiculous thing. So it is. It's a super exciting time for this market. Um, they have dealt with a lot of being like Ottawa's dealt with being kind of like the low hanging fruit. You know, everyone mocks Ottawa, like, Oh, you stupid arena out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody likes the team. Just move it already. The fans don't care. No, 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 no. The fans care. And they'd love a downtown arena, but this, this thing never had attendance problems because of a lack of engagement from the fans. It was a lack of engagement from ownership. And I think if, if, if this can get solved and I quite frankly, don't care who the owner is or, or what his celebrity status or what their celebrity status is or what, 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 just be committed to, you know, putting money into payroll, putting money into hockey operations, uh, building bridges uh, with the community instead of detonating them. And you're going to see that this thing is going to turn around in a hurry. And that's the excitement level. I think that's here. The fact that there's a potential Snoop Dogg and a Ryan Reynolds, like, okay, that's all well and fine, but that's honest to goodness, Haley, that's the cherry on top uh, of a Sunday that, that I think at the end of the day, people here are looking more at, um, the, the main thing, which is a competent, stable, committed ownership group. Yeah. And, and I did a story earlier in the year, uh, when the Ryan Reynolds, you know, interest kind of started and I, it was the easiest story. It was the best. All I did was sit on my couch and I binge watched welcome to Wrexham. And obviously we've seen what's happened with that team. I mean, they, they win, they're getting, you know, they're moving up the, 
uh, out of the bottom league and you see the whole team. I just got sent to like Vegas to celebrate on Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhaney's tab. Like we're seeing the things that Ryan Reynolds can do as an owner uh, with a soccer team. Obviously the Ottawa Senators is different than, than buying a Welsh football club. Um, but there's some intriguing options here. I think, you know, those are two of the bids. Um, I guess at the end of the day, and I, I know you talked about this on the Athletic Hockey Show today and you tweeted about it, um, you're not rooting for a specific person to buy the team. It's not about what celebrity you like best. But I think you have some characteristics and attributes that, that you're kind of hoping, you know, this organization ends up landing in an owner. So what do you think are the kind of priorities or the ideal kind of person who should be at the top of this organization? Yeah, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad you put that out, too, because I think it's important, like, you know, when, when you get a, an opportunity to interview somebody like I did with Snoop, I think there's a, a feeling from people like, oh, wow, Ian's in the Snoop camp now. Well, no, <laughs> I'm not. I'm like, I, like you're telling me if, if Michael Landlauer, who's a potential owner of this team, uh, if, if, if I had an opportunity to interview him, I would do it in the same way. Same with uh, the Remington group. Same with Ryan Reynolds. Same with, uh, you know, Jeff Kimmel. A- anybody who's potentially in the mix to buy this team, I'm super interested in what your mindset is and I want to know it and I want to tell your story. And that's, I appreciate that, 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 that Snoop gave me the opportunity to kind of get inside his mind for, for a little bit. And I would do that with anybody, but at the end of the day, I'm not rooting for anybody. And I, and I think that's what I find disappointing is that sometimes people look at this and you're like, Oh wow, he's, he's pumping this. I'm not, I'm not, I've just, I happen to be the guy that, that got that, that interview. And yeah, I think what you want here is exactly what I kind of hinted at earlier. Like, like Ottawa for years, Haley, like for the listeners benefit here, this thing was run as poorly as Harold Ballard. Like for, for people who are a little bit older, like Harold Ballard owned the Toronto Maple Leafs in the 1980s and basically took one of the most storied franchises in North American sports and drove them off a cliff with his selfish, uh, closed-minded ways. The previous ownership group in Ottawa is the closest thing we've seen in the National Hockey League, in my opinion, to Harold Ballard uh, post-2000, you know, in the last 25-some-odd years. We haven't seen anything like it. So all we're asking for, we're not asking for, it, it would be great if the, the, the person came in and they had all these boxes that they checked, like they were an A-list celebrity, and they had all, that's great. But at the end of the day, we just are demanding an ownership group comes in here Understand the marketplace, understands that you can't unplug the charitable arm of your team and not expect it to blow up, like, which is what happened with, with Melnick. He literally, like, you've never heard of this before. In any other professional sport, anywhere on the planet has a sports team cut ties with its own charitable foundation. But that shows you the toxicity which was, you know, kind of circulating around the franchise three years ago, four years ago, five years ago. And all we're asking for is not that. I don't think that's a – we're not even setting a high bar. We're just setting a bar in this market. And I, what I think, too, is really important is the previous regime was absolutely uninterested in engaging and being accountable to the media in this marketplace. And, in, and as a result, Haley, this thing went right off a cliff. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I tweeted this, and I said it on, the, on, on my podcast. I'll say it again here. We need an ownership group that isn't only interested in talking to uh, journalists, reporters, whatever, that only are interested in um, elevating and and promoting their message. We need an ownership group that when they make a mistake, 
we can call you out on it. And I want to make this clear. This is not an Ottawa-specific problem. Talk to our colleagues in Vancouver. Talk to our colleagues uh, who cover the Angels in Major League Baseball. Like, there are stories everywhere of, you know, PR teams and ownership groups and everything putting up barriers and not being accountable. And this is not like, but we have to, as a group, demand that, that we get that. And I think if we get that, I think that this thing will, will stay on the rails and not go off, like I said, off the cliff. Absolutely. And, you know, having this discussion now about the Ottawa Senators with Ian Mendes from The Athletic here on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline, I think the big question, other than who is it going to be, is when is this team actually going to get sold? Do you have an idea of, of the timeline right now, Ian? So, what are we at? The 4th of May? Uh, 5th, whatever it is, 4th. Um, yes, so Star Wars Day for those oh, who yeah, celebrate. I, I, I should have forgotten. I'm speaking to the Mandalorian expert here. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 10 days from now, 11 days from now is the deadline is our understanding of when all these groups, whether it's, you know, Ryan Reynolds and the Remington group, the Snoop Dogg, uh, Nico Sparks group, uh, Michael Landlauer, anybody who is in the mix, we believe that the date that they have to submit a bid is uh, May the 15th. And what I think is interesting on this one, Haley, this is a binding process. I'm led to believe meaning like you can't just like the first time that they all submitted bids, you can slide any number across the table. It wasn't binding. So I could have, sat there and said, ah, you know what, put me in for $900 million. And if the senators say, yeah, we accept that bid, well, I, I could just say, ah, psych, I didn't really mean it, right. and, and I, I'm not legally attached to it. This time around, when you slide that piece of paper across the table, you are legally bound to adhere to those terms. So you can't just say, I'll bid $1.1 because I know nobody else will batch that, and then when the time comes to actually pay for the team, I'll, 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 I'll like knock it down to like nine seventy five. You, you can't do that. So we're looking at May the 15th. We're looking at beyond that, though. This is where it becomes really fascinating from a hockey perspective, Haley. If they buy the team May 15th, or sorry, there's conditional sale even by June 1st, there's still a a bunch of processes. they got to go through the Board of Governors, get approvals. It's going to be awfully hard for them, I think, to get this stuff done before free agency in the draft. Like, right. So if they, if they came in with a new vision and they're like, oh, we'd like to change out staff or add staff, you can't – I don't foresee a scenario where they can get it done before, like, the, the end of June. So I, I think everybody is – if you're asking me, I think everybody's safe until June. And then if you're going to hmm. allow everybody to make those decisions in, in June and in July, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you do moving forward. Well, it's tough because the big question that that has been asked about this too is like, okay, well, if they if and when they get new owners, is it going to be a clean slate? What does that mean for Pierre Dorian? What does that mean for DJ Smith? And you're right, like, if the new owners aren't actually starting to act as owners and making moves until June, um, that's not a lot of time to bring in a new general manager here. It's not a lot of time to to go for that clean slate. So. Um, those are two pieces of the potential to-do list that are to come. Uh, what are some of the other top priorities for the Ottawa Senators right now, Ian? Well, I, I would say that the number one – okay, so strip aside all this ownership talk. Um, what do you do with Alex Dabrinkit? Like, this is a really yeah. interesting scenario. And I know that if, you know, for listeners in, in, in Calgary, that um, <laughs> you saw this play out with Matt Kachuk last summer. Like, Alex Dabrinkit is going into this offseason in the exact same spot as Matthew Kachuk was – you know, a year out. And, and, and so, you know, Kachuk at least gave to me, and I, I know we can talk about how the Flames lost the trade and, and the Panthers are in, but 
Matthew Kachuk at least went to the Flames and said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to sign here. Like, flip me out and let's, let's do something that's win-win. And I think at some point here in the next month or six weeks, Alex DeBrinkett could potentially do the Senators a favor and do that. Like, if he truly feels like, ah, you know, my heart's not here. I'd like to go somewhere else. Um, I think you try and get this done before the draft. Like, I don't know how you go into next season. you got to qualify him at $9 million. Like, you can't qualify this guy at $9 million and bring him back for a last year of a deal, and then he potentially just walks out the door. That's the Johnny Gaudreau scenario. So yeah. that, to me, is the biggest one. Does he want to stay? Can you keep him at a reasonable dollar amount? If the answer is no, then I think you have to move him or try and move him. But I... I don't fault the player. He, he put himself, him and his agent put themselves in a great position. This is what Matthew Kachuk did. This is, what, mm-hmm. this is why I always think those bridge deals coming out of the entry level, they maximize your leverage. And this is exactly what they've done. They, they've, they've worked really hard to get themselves into this spot. And, uh, you know, I'm always a, a little bit more of a, a player guy, an athlete guy. And totally. I say maximize your leverage. Well, he's even done it down to the the higher qualifying offer, right? By having yeah. the bigger base salary in the final year of the deal, so you can get a high QO. Uh, and if you end up just signing the one year, you bet on yourself, you get a big ticket, then you can maximize your next deal. Like it's 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 good, smart business for the player and the agent for sure. But it definitely puts the organization in a tough spot. We we heard that Pierre Dorian is going to uh, give Debrinket his what is it nine and a half million dollar qualifying offer uh, by the deadline, but that doesn't really mean that he's going to stick around long term so i'm really curious to see how that uh kind of tracks with to bring it in the sense i feel like the nhl draft is going to be the big date for that right yep i think so and like like i said i don't think once you qualify him at nine and he takes it it almost makes him untradeable until the deadline right because what team is going to be like oh i'll take alex to bring it at that at nine million for for one year, and then we'll figure. Yeah. No, no, no. You'd want to have your your um, a contract extension in place, all that stuff in place, and and then then you can't do that until after Jan Jan one, right? Um, if he yeah. gets the one year, if he gets the one year deal, so you want to bring it under team it. control, right? Like you want the Kachuk thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost the sign sign in trade that they did with with Florida. You you want to be able to lock him in. You don't trade for one year of Alex to bring it. And I mean, if you are, then the Sens probably aren't going to get a great return because it's one year of Alex to bring it, not long term. Bingo. Yeah, exactly. Like, so to me, it, it, it's exactly the Matthew Kachuk scenario. And you got to hope that that's the route. And, and you're able to, to if, if, if he doesn't want to stay or can't stay, that you can maximize. And, and I know in hindsight that, you know, Huberto and, 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 and Mackenzie Weger maybe didn't have the type of impact in some ways that, 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 that Matt Kachuk is obviously having in, in Florida. But I think at the time, let's all go back and say like, wow, Bradford Living did a pretty good job under the circumstances. Yeah. And that's the key. There's circumstances here for Alex to bring it. I mean, I still look back on that deal and say, I think Bradtree Living did the best he could with the hand he was dealt because we, we saw, and, and I've heard of what some of the deals that were offered from, you know, Carolina, St. Louis. And it was like, Oh my God. You know, the, the Blues package that, that was reported was not good. So I know Huberto and Weger didn't have the seasons that people maybe expected, although I thought Mackenzie Weger was very good down the stretch. Um, he, he was excellent. Uh, Huberto obviously is aware that he didn't have a great year, and he knows that he needs to be better next year. But, you know, for, for the situation they were put in, that's a, that's a pretty 
good deal. I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody believed that the Flames got the best player in that deal. But you throw in the the prospect, you throw in the first round pick, and and that's a good bit of work for for a GM who was put in a tough spot. So we'll see what the the Sens would potentially be able to do with Debrinket, whether it's a trade or a long-term contract extension. Um, I want to shift gears when we still have a couple more minutes left with you, Ian, because you're heading to world championships this week. Yeah. When you leave, like tomorrow? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, okay. uh, you know, team, Can- team Canada has got a camp over in uh, Budapest, uh, mm-hmm. Hungary for, for a few days. So uh, I'll connect, but like, it, it's so weird, like, you know, because there's been so much, uncertainty around rosters for for this tournament um and i haven't and seen like canada's the, uh, roster yet am i just no they haven't am i, I, I dumb or <laughs> is that not no, out no, yet? No, I, I mean <laughs> they may have may may very well have released it in the course of you and i having this uh, conversation like I, I think the the plan was they were going to try and get it out at some like we saw team usa put theirs out i think today yes. and but you look at the list and you're like wow that's really underwhelming like even i know um the aforementioned Sean Gentilly, uh, like he, he had a great conversation with uh, David Quinn about a week ago where David Quinn, who's going to be the coach for Team USA, kind of said like, hey, like Jake Gensel is going to go over and play. And I looked at the roster today, Jake Gensel's name's not there. And so I don't know, I don't know what happened, but like suddenly I, it looks like, like Alex Tuck. Yeah, but like Alex Tuck is like, I think arguably the biggest name on Team USA. So um, I saw Darren Dreger uh, reporting this week that, um, you know, there, there, there's, you know, to give Dregs full credit, um, that, that the likes of uh, Milan Lucic were, mm-hmm. were going over, well, and, and Mackenzie Weger was going to go over. Uh, but, but I don't know. Like, I know there's a lot of people keeping their fingers crossed that Sid would go, Haley. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, it'd be remarkable if he did, uh, because he's, he's just, because he's made the playoffs so many years in a row. Like, world championships really haven't been a thing for him. Uh, but when you see the Team USA roster, you wonder, I don't know. Like, like Team USA, all of the really good, young national development players from the last few years uh, have all kind of just for one reason or the other just declined. Like, like they could have had, like, think about it, Quinn Hughes and Brady Kachuk and, mm-hmm. you know, some of these great young guys that you would think would want to kind of prove themselves for a potential future best on best. None of them are going. Uh, right yeah. now. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. Interesting tournament for sure. No Olympics. So let's get Nathan McKinnon and Sidney Crosby on the top line for Team Canada oh. uh, at the World Championships. Right? Maybe Jonathan Taves rolls in too. Like, you know, like okay. there's some legitimately interesting players that are available, but I just, I don't know. Yeah. Is there anything that you're tracking there? Anything that you're particularly looking forward to to seeing at a World Championships? I've always heard from uh, Craig Custance and Chris Johnston, like, go to those tournaments. They're the best to cover from a media standpoint. It sounds like those are always really fruitful. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's kind of, I think, what, like, kind of what I'm doing is going over there and just, you know what, go and, go and experience it. And, and, and I guess the feeling is that the players are always much more relaxed the coaching staff is much more relaxed management. So, you know, like Doug Armstrong's over there, Steve Eiserman's over there. Um, usually the first week of the tournament, a lot of GMs will come over uh, from, from non-playoff teams that aren't left. They'll come over just to do some pro scouting and, uh, you know, that, that type of thing. And it's a good chance for them to, to kind of maybe chat with their counterparts ahead of the draft and maybe plant the seeds for some things. So that's, I think, really what it's there. Like, I'm not really there. I think most people that go over to cover it, 
don't really cover it from a like a tournament perspective, right? Like you're not there to mm-hmm. like, oh wow, Canada lost three two to Hungary. Like what's going on? Like I don't think anybody anybody really cares about the, the game as much as some of the potential stories uh, right. and and general managers and the hockey people and the agents that are uh, that are over there. Well, you should go over there and do a big profile on Flames prospect Matthew Coronado, and then you can come back on the show and tell us all about it. Yeah, about I saw that? he's on the list, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. He'll be on TV. There we go. Say. So yeah. go go do some Flames work, Ian. We'll, we'll talk to you about it next time. <laughs> well, like a Lucic and Uyghur. Yeah, maybe I'll just, do, I'll just uh, do the whole thing over there. Tyler Toffoli, Milan Lucic, top line left wing. Let's go. Yeah. okay well we're gonna we gotta head to a break here quickly here and so thank you so much for doing this and yeah we'll uh we'll bring you back on as you start reporting out some flames features while you're at worlds have fun i think he already left i'm talking to myself now taylor that's fine (laughs) <laughs> that conversation with Ian Mendez, again, from The Athletic, covers the Ottawa Senators. He had the big scoop uh, that Snoop Dogg is part of a bid to buy the Ottawa Senators. And, of course, Ian talked to Snoop Dogg in an exclusive interview for The Athletic today. If you're interested in that, you can check that out. Uh, it's been all over social media today. And that conversation with Ian is brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Ty Anderson from 98.5 The Sports Hub. That's Boston's home for sports. We're going to keep looking at some of these teams that are on the outside looking and didn't think that would be the Boston Bruins uh, on May the 4th, that they'd be on the outside, but they are. What happened there? What comes next? And maybe we can find out what Ty learned about the Florida Panthers who continue uh, on their playoff run here. Second round, they'll play tonight against the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, Hockey Central continues here on Sports at 960. Haley Salvian here with you. We uh, just had a nice chat with Ian Mendez about what comes next for the Ottawa Senators. Is Snoop Dogg going to be buying the team? Is it Ryan Reynolds? Uh, so appreciate Ian for coming on and talking about all that. Uh, one of the other teams on the outside looking in, it's the Boston Bruins. I picked them to win the Cup. I picked David Pasternak to win the Conn Smythe. Now I've hopped on the Dallas Stars bandwagon for, for listeners who've heard me talk about Dallas and how I think they're going to win next. Um, they're they're probably going to get kicked out this round as well because I chose them. Apparently, I'm bad luck, it seems. But uh, to talk about what comes next with the Boston Bruins and uh, look ahead maybe at what the Florida Panthers can continue doing in the playoffs, let's bring in Ty Anderson on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline. He's from 98.5, the Sports Hub. It's Boston's home for sports covering the Bruins. Ty, how are we doing? How are we feeling? Hey, it's been a couple days. Feeling better? <laughs> Yeah, it's been a weird couple of days. I, I think that, you know, it, it's really interesting. You plan for two months of covering a hockey run, and, and then it's over in 13 days. It's it's a bit jarring, to say the least. So, uh, you know, you lick your wounds, you get back to work, and, and you go from there. But it, it really jarring. I, I, you know, it sounds like we're on the same page here because I picked Bruins against Dallas in, in the cup ah. final. I thought that's where it was going to trend, and and. You know, now Dallas is down 1-0 and the Bruins are out. So it's really interesting how this time of year works, but it's absolutely stunning week in Boston. A lot of people 
Uh, you walk around town, people still don't want to talk about it. They don't want to hear about it. No, it's like, you know what, give me a couple weeks. Give me some more time to digest this. Um, you know, we've spent a lot of time on this show here in Calgary talking about the off-season to-do list for the Flames and how this is going to be a pretty interesting one in this market. I think Winnipeg's also a must-watch, another team that got kicked out in the first round. We look at these teams and, and the changes to come, but I think Boston's pretty high on the off-season watchability rankings because there's some big questions about very important players. Yeah, David Pastor is locked into a new contract but there's some work to be done in Boston like what are, what are the Bruins up against this summer well I think the biggest obstacle for them is they have a 4.5 million dollar bonus overage coming against their cap for next year which is going to really hurt them and you know the cap is not going to go up like many thought it would at least we don't think so based on the TV markets in the United States that were eliminated in round one so you know, that's a big blow for the Bruins. They were really kind of banking on, you know, either a cap explosion or uh, winning it all this year and then saying we're going to take a step back. But I, I think that now, you know, you look at it, you basically have about, you know, the rough math is about $7 million to re-sign Jeremy Swayman, to re-sign Trent Frederick, and then to maybe bring back uh, Patrice Bergeron, uh, David Krejci maybe, uh, and then try to find money if you can, you know, to keep a guy like Orlov, to keep a guy like Bertuzzi, but there's going to be movement, you know, whether the Bruins want to make moves or not, they're going to have to clear some cap space. So it's just a matter of who survives, you know, that summer of movement here in Boston. But, you know, you're looking at it realistically, there's probably about two to three guys, maybe even four guys who could be on the block and who could be on the move just to make a cap compliant roster uh, for next season. Who are some of those guys that you're looking at that could be, you know, cap casualties? Do you have anyone specific in mind? Are we looking at, I mean, it seems like Tyler Bertuzzi, somebody like his performance in the postseason, he probably priced himself out of Boston unless he doesn't want to get a big ticket on his next UFA contract. But I guess looking at some of the guys who are locked in a bit longer term in Boston, I'm curious who could who could end up on the on the outside there. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. I, I look at, got there they have a glut of left shot defensemen so you're looking at Derek Forbert, Matt Grizzlick, you know they'd love to get out from Mike Riley's contract he no longer has term left on it after this season concludes he'll have just one year left uh, that might be a future considerations kind of move or he may be attached with a player you know who is better like you know I, I do wonder about a guy like Taylor Hall making six million dollars I, I do wonder about and this sounds crazy I know because he won the Vezina but or he's going to win the Vezina most likely is Lena Felmark. he makes five million dollars his value will probably never be higher than it is right now and the Bruins have Jeremy Swayman do they look at this and say that we can't afford to pay two goaltenders a combined you know seven and a half eight and a half million dollars and they try to get out from Allmark while they can his also his no his no trade does expand this year to I believe 16 teams uh, that he can be traded to so that's something worth watching but you know for that for the Bruins it's really about what do they prioritize you know you mentioned Tyler Bertuzzi I think he's priced himself out Dmitry Orlov could they maybe say okay if we give him an extra year that maybe the Caps didn't want to give him can we get the cap hit a bit lower you know that's something that they may have to sort of try to figure out on the fly but. You know, there's another guy, too, I think, you know, Brandon Carlo. Is that a guy they want to list it on and maybe see if they can package him with one of these other players I've mentioned to maybe do a kind of two-for-one swap, similar to what the uh, Panthers and Flames did this past offseason, where they bring in a good player while getting rid of two.
Yeah, that's a good point. I think what makes this offseason so interesting for the Bruins is, is last year's vision was almost like, let's see how we can maximize one more run. And now, you know, this kind of last dance type run ends in the first round and they're kind of looking, all right, well, what what now? <laughs> like, do you see a way where they can try to run things back and give it one more shot? But it just looks like the cap isn't going up. Everything's getting more expensive and everyone's getting, you know, one year older. And it doesn't look like we really know what Patrice Bergeron or David Krejci want to do. So it's kind of like, all right, well, well, what's the what's the next path here for the Boston Bruins? Yeah, I mean, the, the, listen, the best path for them would be if they could convince Jeremy Swayman and Trent Frederick to hold off on their paydays, you know, take a one-year deal that isn't as pricey as, say, a three- or four-year deal and say, well, we'll take care of you next summer. Yeah, that's hard, though. You know, guys want to get paid. You never know what can happen, right? So there's that. You know, there's Bergeron is going to have to take even more of a haircut than he did a year ago when he had a contract that was $2.5 million base salary. David Krejci made a million dollars. He may have to take even less, you know, like, like it, it's really interesting to sort of watch that and, and say like, you're basically going to have to get everybody on the same page to say, take less. We want to try this one more time. Right. And some guys will be willing other guys, you know, they, they trust their agents and their agents are going to say, we're not going to help you. I need to help my clients. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think that's really what it comes down to, but you know, that's why I'm looking towards, the idea of a hockey trade, right? Like if you can bring in a high impact centerman, if you can bring in a high impact defenseman and then save, you know, say three and a half million dollars in the process, like that might be what they have to do at this point. Right. Is it, you know, it wasn't just the fact that they lost in the first round. It it was that they lost in the, it was like that this Bruins group is the one that lost in the first round, right? Like that was probably their best shot out of Stanley Cup with, with this core. Is that kind of the right sense? Like, that's what makes this even more devastating is, like, this was probably the group that was going to do it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And you look at it from the cap standpoint as well, you know, the injury timing of Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno and Derek Forbert, you know, it all lined up so that these guys missed the regular season, the, the, the second, you know, the stretch run of the regular season, but we're good to go for the playoffs. So effectively, the Bruins were icing a roster that would have cost $93 million on, in October, right? But because of the cap maneuvering, because of the LTIR, you know, this was their chance at what in Boston we call Kucheroffing, right? Where they, where they had a roster that was more expensive than the cap would have allowed, but it was able to be iced in the playoffs. So to come up short with that is really remarkable. And, you know, I talked to some players on breakup day, and they were saying, find a weakness on our team. Our defense was the best it's ever been. Our offense was deep. Our goaltenders were playing unbelievable. They're like, we really thought we had a perfect roster, and we didn't. And and I think that's what makes it so stunning, as well as the fashion in which they lost, right? Like, they, they Brad Marchand has a breakaway with five seconds left in, over, in, in the third period of game five. They have two separate third period leads in game six. They blow them both. Game seven, they're a minute away from winning it, and they blow it. Like, it was really just a lot of just, absolutely nightmare scenarios coming to life for the Boston Bruins. Do you think we kind of took the Florida Panthers a a little bit lightly in saying that? Obviously, the Bruins had things that they could have done better, but I feel like the Panthers played an excellent series. They really thrive under this kind of underdog uh, hat that they're wearing right now, and they take a one nothing series lead against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and they have a chance to go up two nothing tonight in Toronto before heading back home. Like, what did you learn about the Florida Panthers in that upset in round one, and and how far do you think they can take this? 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, you guys know in Calgary how good Matthew Kachuk is, and, and it was remarkable talking to players after that series saying he's unbelievable. Like they, like they, they were like, we knew he was good, but this is like next level. The way he put that team on his back down the stretch and even in the playoffs, I mean, it's really incredible. And then you really saw their game kind of take a, you know, step up another level when they got Sam Bennett back. Sam Bennett's battled injuries this year. We all know, but a really effective player kind of helped slot everyone to their proper place on that roster and they were just a deeper, more effective team once Bennett was back in their lineup. So I do think that collectively, I think we got lost in the mystique of the Bruins and the 65 wins and kind of forgot that, you know, Florida was a team that won the President's Trophy a year ago. And, you know, they went through some bumps. They, you know, their goaltending was not where it needed to be, uh, I, I think, in the regular season. But when Sergei Bobrovsky got his chance in the postseason, he was making saves that he wasn't making in the regular season and, and he was providing a, you know, a lift and making a difference. So you factor it all in, like they're back to their confident form. And after I think learning the lesson of last year, that you're not just going to win the Stanley cup because you're the best. And you're just seeing the team. I think personally, a, a Panthers team that has a much higher battle battle level than we saw a year ago. You know, circling back to the Bruins conversation and what comes next for this team, uh, you mentioned it was kind of the, the locker clean-out day for players. Uh, we haven't heard from the GM or the coach yet. It doesn't sound like Bergeron or Krejci have kind of spoken about what's next for them. I mean, it's still pretty fresh. Um, but I'm curious, like, if they do say goodbye, and this is it for those players, either in their career or with the Boston Bruins, do you think the team in 2023-24 will be in, in okay shape? Like, let's say they, you know, they deal with the cap crisis and those two say goodbye. I mean, they still have foundational players, David Pasternak, Charlie McAvoy, Hampus Lindholm, uh, DeBrusque, Matt Grizzlick. Like, there's still some good pieces there. You know, maybe Pavel Zaka might not be the same, you know, top six center as Patrice Bergeron is, but but I think they could be okay. What kind of shape do you think they'd be in? Yeah, you know, I think that when you have a foundation that you mentioned, if McAvoy, Lindholm, Pasternak, and then the goaltenders, assuming that they're both back next season, I think you're still a, you know, dare I say a 100-point team. I, and that may sound crazy to some, but you, you got a glimpse of it late in the year where Pavel Zaka was playing center and playing well. He has obvious chemistry with David Pasternak. Charlie Coyle had a great year as a two-way center. The Bruins really morphed his game. They made him more of a two-way player. They made him a PK, you know, centerman, and he was really good at that. And so they're not Patrice Bergeron. They're not David Krejci, but they're effective players. And then it really is a matter of, you know, if the Bruins can get one of their prospects to pop, just one, it really does change the dynamic of the team, right? And, and you, know, you don't know if that will happen. You don't know if that can happen. But there's, there's enough there to think that they will not be, say, the Philadelphia Flyers, right? Like they are going to be a team that is contending. You know, they will be at the very worst in the wild card fight, and then they'll go from there. But I think that they have enough a core that it will not bottom out. And personally, I think Bergeron is back. And I say that because he's still such an effective player. Mm -hmm. I think for Bergeron, it's as much about the team being competitive as it is him being an effective player. He doesn't want to go out as a shell of himself. So as long as he is still playing at a high level, I think he will be back. And, I mean, yesterday, it was uh, I guess two days ago now, it was announced that Patrice Bergeron was a finalist for the Selkie Trophy for the, a record 12 straight season. Uh, he can win the award for a second consecutive year in a record six-time 
Uh, I guess I can't really share who I picked yet until it's officially out, but I did have a vote. I'm very lucky to have a vote, and I can I can say that Patrice Bergeron was on was on my ballot. Do you think he's uh, he's going to win it for the sixth time here? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I will disclose he was also on mine. This is one of the harder votes this year, in my yeah. opinion. Uh, I, I think that there was a lot of really worthy contenders, but and it's entirely possible that you know he shines a bit brighter for me because I get to watch him every game, every night, every practice. I just watch his details. You know, even at 37 years old, the details of his game are still fantastic. You know, there's not a player I want out there if I'm a coach more than Patrice Bergeron in a defensive zone face-off scenario. So I, I think he does get it, but I will say that I, I think the voting body this year, really, you know, speaking personally, really hard decision. So I, it's one of those things I'm looking at it and I'm, I'm wondering if, if there's a chance he's bumped just based on the, the, the pure volume, I guess, of, of candidates this year but i do think he's still the best at what he does in the two-way department so i think he should get it but but will he that's the real question (laughs) yeah absolutely well thank you so much for doing this ty uh we'll we'll have to chat again soon as we track what comes next for the bruins and what should be an an interesting offseason thank you for this absolutely anytime thank you for having me Absolutely. All right. There goes Ty Anderson from 98.5, the Sports Hub. It's Boston's home for sports. Uh, catch him on the radio in Boston talking about the Bruins. Uh, he's also on NBC Sports Boston sometimes. So it's a good chat with Ty. Uh, I don't think anybody expected the Bruins to get kicked out in the first round. Actually, one of my colleagues at The Athletic picked the Florida Panthers in the first round. He was the only one in our company-wide predictions that picked Florida. So he's looking really smart right now the Panthers as mentioned they have a chance to go up two nothing in round two against the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight uh game two goes at five o'clock seven o'clock in Toronto and then the late game tonight is the Dallas Stars and the Seattle Kraken we'll be back here on Hockey Central on sports at 960 tomorrow to break it all down we'll uh, catch you guys then thanks for listening